So if you have your Bible open, uh, you found James. If you have the Restore app, you just click on the bulletin section, you'll see our sermon today. If you have the Version app, you just search under the live event section and you'll see Restore Church or if you follow on the screens, you'll see it all. You just can't take these screens home, so you need the, the app, you need a tablet or a Bible to, to learn to love God's Word. I want to give you some background on the book of James because it matters to us in what we're talking about today. Here's the background of James. James is a half-brother of Jesus. James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah at first. In John 7, James makes fun of Jesus. He's like, you're a public figure, but you don't even want to go down among the people, make yourself known. No one would do that. Well, later in life, James comes to follow his brother as Lord and Savior. He follows Jesus for who he is, that he says he is. And remember this, James writes this letter to Christians. When you read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, Christianity the whole time is under persecution. There is not a time that the Christian life is not threatened in the New Testament. For James, everything is at stake. He has found the beauty of following Jesus. He has found the value in following Jesus. He has found what it meant to have a Savior and a Lord. And he wants everyone to know not only what, but how. And he knows what's at stake. And so, um, the best way I felt like to communicate this, of, of the urgency that James has, is that a couple months ago, I got to spend a lot of time with a guy who had had quadruple bypass open heart surgery. And one of his consistent messages to me over the meals we shared was, Roger, slow down. Slow down. Take, take in each moment. Enjoy the time you have. Spend more time with your wife and kids than you do at work. Why was, it, why was he telling me this? Every meal, it's like I could repeat it with him. It was because he had a new outlook on life after his surgery. It's the same with James. Man, he's saying this with a pastor's tone, but also with a pastor's urgency. Hey, I want you to know the sweetness of what it is to follow Jesus. But we got to do it now, and we have to do it like immediately. So with that being in mind, we're going to look at two verses together in chapter one, but I want you to hear it through this filter. Anger always glorifies someone. So read with me James chapter one, verses 19 to 20. He says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to work backwards from verse 20 because that's the goal, right? It's the, if we're going to be angry to have anger that produces godly or that produces righteousness of God. And so let's work backwards from verse 20 to verse 19. Remember, anger always glorifies someone. And so in verse 20, it says that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So is there an anger that we can have? Is there an anger that God allows? And, and there is. I mean, you see Jesus in, in uh, John chapter 2 go into the temple and defend the poor. 
see Jesus rebuke Peter when Peter tries to slow down God's plan of Jesus' sacrifice. Poor Peter, later on, he gets, he gets uh, the wrath of Paul. <laughs> Paul gets angry with Peter because Peter tries to pull out the race card and deny the Gentiles salvation because of their race. Is there an anger that the, Bible talk, that the Bible allows? There absolutely is. It's why we want to defend the child who's being mistreated in public, and it just fills up inside of us. It's why some of our passions lead us to defend social injustices in our community. It's why some of us stand on the platform to defend unborn babies. And it's why there are Christians who are angry Because while there are so many Christians out there standing on the platform to defend unborn babies, and they should, many of them uh, hesitate and run away from the line to sign up to foster those babies or adopt those babies who are born. From Jesus flipping tables in the temple to Christians defending social issues, there are There is an anger that the Bible allows. Remember, anger always glorifies someone. And for us and our emotions, we have got to use them to glorify God as a Christ follower. Let me show you what anger, what kind of anger is not justified in Scripture. Sudden fits of rage, like hammer fisting a wall. Screaming at someone in traffic because they cut you off. Who does that glorify? And you're like, hey man, I might just be pointing, I'm pointing at the one above. Well, use your first finger, not the other one. You need to wave with your whole hand, okay? Telling your wife, uh, telling your wife you're finished because she doesn't live up to your expectations when you get home from work. Who does that glorify? Teaching the waitress a lesson by leaving her no tip because of bad service. Who does that glorify? Yes, people do that. Yelling at your kids because they had a bad day or because you had a bad day. Who does that glorify? See, bursts of anger, fits of rage is what the Bible calls it, typically always glorifies who? You. It's about having control in that moment, and so you just let it all out. And for a Christ follower, we have to have constructive anger that allows us to stomp on eggshells. So you're asking a question, how do we have then anger that glorifies God? That's a great question, and I'm so glad that you're asking it. James tells us, be quick to listen, slow to speak to become angry so let's talk let's talk about just those verse 19 it says uh my brothers and sisters everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry i was practicing my sermon and i get those twisted a lot like when i'm talking about the verse i'll I'll say um quick to speak slow to listen and i just couldn't get it so i was uh at the house and um uh, the kids were in the living room watching football because they just love their dad and want to honor me with their life. And so, you know, I just love them so much, especially when they're doing that. And uh, I said out loud, I said, okay, I was try- I'm trying to memorize this and make this a part of my everyday life. And so I said, okay, my brothers and sisters, everyone should be, and my son, 
I'm telling you this because you have kids who are in the village right now. And this is where my son learned it. My son goes, oh, oh, I know that one. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I was like, that's awesome. And then I thought, oh, he's going to hold me accountable to that. <laughs> one day he's going to use that verse. Anyway, I just want to tell you what your kids are learning in the village. Learning God's word. And they're learning it as a tool to hold you accountable. Isn't that so great? The first thing that we're going to do to help us have godly anger is to, qui- is to be quick to listen. And I'm so excited to talk about this. And this part is going to take the majority of this sermon because it is the biggest investment in cooling our anger is to be quick to listen. Another way of saying being quick to listen as a default or being quick to listen is to say listening is our default. Restore Church has a couple default settings. We default to love, we default to serving, and we default to listening. Those are our default settings. And so when we talk about listening and being quick to listen, what type of listening are we looking for? Here's the type of listening we're not looking for. This is the type of listening we're not we should not be practicing, and that's listening to respond. Listening to respond. You know what I'm talking about. If you're in a conversation with someone, and they're talking to you, and then your next thought is, I, you know what I'm talking about? You're halfway in. They're telling a story about this time that they were driving to Florida, and they saw the south of the border signs coming up. And you stop listening because you have a story in your mind that you cannot wait to get out until they're finished with this story, unless you're just that person who just interrupts and tells the story. But you're like, I can't wait to get this story out. So you stop listening because you're trying to remember the facts of your story. And so when they're done, you say your next one is, yeah, one time I went to the south of the border. I'm going to tell you all, there's... What they were telling you probably has nothing to do with south of the board, but that's what you hung on to. Because you're listening to respond. You just can't wait to talk. Guilty. I always have a better story. And if I don't, like this is the sinful part, I'm just not interested. If I don't have a better, if I can't be the, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know people like me. Y'all know me. Like there's always someone with a better story. Or, uh... Maybe you and your wife, so my grandfather, y'all know this, I'm, I just want you to learn it and be able to say it, when him and my mamma argue, he calls that intense fellowship. <laughs> he's, he's a pastor too, and we got to put everything through color, you know, flower-covered glasses, so it's intense fellowship is what he calls it. And um, you ever been in an intense fellowship? And your spouse says something, and you're like, oh, I got her, I got her, and, and you can't wait You stop listening because you're just ready to respond to that point. You stop listening because you're ready to burn her or throw shade back. You know know what I'm talking about. You just cannot wait for her to finish, or you don't wait for her to finish, and you just yell over top of her, and then she yells over top of you, and then you yell over top of her, and she yells over top of you, and then you have a productive argument, and then you both come out to a logical and peaceful conclusion, right? That's usually how yelling at each other works. No, no, no. When has that solved anything? I mean, look at our current political landscape. When does yelling louder than the other person or accusing more ever work? 
No, we only listen to respond or listen to refute or listen for a chance at rebuttal. See, we need to be listeners to understand. We'll talk about this more in a moment. Why is listening such a crucial part of growing slow to anger? Listening makes big assumptions. It communicates something to the person that you're listening to. And so if we don't want to become angry, we need to make these assumptions. And the first one is that you're, the person you're communicating with has something to say. It communicates there's another side of things that you haven't heard. And so when you invest in listening, you're saying, hey, you've got something to say, and then you're communicating another thing. That's valuable. I want to listen to what you have to say. Because I value what I value what you're saying and I value you. We listen as a default. And when we listen as a default, it puts our priorities, our initiative, what we believe is right on the back burner. Even if it's right, sometimes valuing the person you're talking to who might be making you angry, sometimes valuing them is more important than your opinion. And listen, I know you've got the best opinion in the world and you're right. That's why we have our opinions, right? But uh, listening is always, always, always more valuable. It values, th- it values what the person's saying and it values the person. But here's the critical part of this. We are not, as a culture, good listeners. We just aren't. Our culture has trained us that we cannot do one thing, we can't do one thing at a time. Right. And have you heard the phrase that multitasking is a myth? I think that's true. I don't know if it is or not. I'm just going to say it is because I'm a guy. (laughs) Um, And I believe that is true. But our culture has trained us in that methodology, that multitasking. Like we always have. We can't watch a movie without being on Facebook at the same time and then asking everybody else, hey, what just happened? I don't know. Google it. Like, we can't hang out with friends without taking a selfie and then posting on Instagram, hashtag no filter, and then checking back all the time incessantly to see if it's been liked, loved, shared, or looked at by an influencer. You know, we just can't. When you sit down at a date with your wife or sit down at the dinner table, what we typically do is take our phone out and we sit it right there on the table or, or on the arm of the couch. And you're in a conversation with someone, and then you hear, what do you immediately do? You look at it. I'm gonna, I want to help teach a, a lesson in communication. You are always engaged in a conversation all the time. If you're by yourself and you listen to the radio, you're engaged in a conversation. If there's nothing on, you are engaged in a conversation in your mind. Okay, You are always, 100%, 100% of the time, unless you're sleeping, engaged in a conversation. When you are talking with someone and your phone vibrates and you look down at your phone, so uh, me and Aaron, let's just imagine, my wife's name's Aaron, if you didn't know that, you might have been like, man, this guy's talking about someone. He's really fond of her. I am. Uh, so me and Aaron are engaged in a conversation, and then I hear, and I look down at it, and then I look back at her. What does that communicate? I just left this conversation to look at this conversation to come back to this one. And what I just communicated to my wife is, I'm just going to check to see if this is more important than this. 
And so even if I heard every word, I still just communicated something to my wife. And that is, this, <laughs> this is riveting, but I just want to make sure to see if this is more exciting. It's when you're talking and you look to see the score of the game just to come back and you miss the whole point of the story. Or it's, it's, it's when your kid is talking to you and you're like, this story has taken 45 minutes. Just deal with it. You don't get that story back. Communication is key and listening. We have got to be better listeners. And so um, because this is, I think, the most valuable key in our relationships just in general, just in general and in life, we've got to be better listeners. I cannot wait for the first presidential candidate or like I can't wait for presidential candidate who just listens. Uh, not to respond, but to understand. I just can't wait. But anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'll just run for president. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, I want to teach us, uh, I want to teach us four lessons, four ways to become better listeners. This isn't in a st- sermon. We're going to go quickly after this. But I want to spend the most time investing in this because it is the biggest investment in being slow to anger. Here are four uh, key ways to become better listeners. The first one is uh, Stephen Covey wrote a book called Seven Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Leader. Or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There there are seven habits of highly effective everything books now. So I think it's seven seven habits of a highly effective leader. And one uh, one of those habits is seek to understand, then be understood. You can say it another way, uh, earn the respect to be heard by listening. Or you could say this, be quick to listen and then slow to speak. So Stephen Covey says, seek to understand and then be understood. What if you spent time trying to understand the person that makes you angry or the situation that makes you angry or the environment that makes you angry? What, What if you invest like and when I say seek I mean spend time trying to understand you'll become a great listener the second thing to do is to ask questions ask questions Jesus uh, and all the gospels recorded asked over 340 questions almost 78 percent of the time that Jesus was asked a question he responded with a question Asking questions communicates that I value you, I want to know, I'm invested, and I'm seeking to understand. Asking questions makes you the most popular person in the world. So in our culture, and in our world, it's probably not just our culture, it's probably been forever, but I only live in our culture, so I only know that. People love to talk about themselves. You want to be the, the most like, loved person in your office space? Just ask questions and listen for the answer. (laughs) Seek to understand. Um, You want to be the best spouse ever? Ask questions. Uh, One of the the things that um, I've tried to implement in our staff is that when we're in conversations with people in our church, or just in general, here's what you, here's the goal. We want people that we're in conversation with to leave and feel like the most selfish person in the world because all they did was talk about themselves. Because we ask questions and we're genuinely interested. Here's the third one. P- rephrase and paraphrase. 
This is a key component of active listening. So when you are in intense fellowship with your spouse, instead of waiting for her to get finished so you can just cool it. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't mean that. Oh, so you can just yell, like, let her have it. Teach her a lesson, whatever it is. What if you ask questions or try to rephrase what she's saying and then say, am I understanding that right? Try to paraphrase what she's saying because then we are really understanding. Here's the fourth one. Invest. No other conversations. Turn your phone off. Put it in the back room. Here's the downfall of our watches now, right? They tell us when something, you know, it's like, voop, voop. <laughs> you know, we, we always have, we're always connected. Right? We're always connected. So no other conversations. Parents of little ones, this is hard. It's hard for us to have conversations with adults. Am I right? After church, you're going to try to have conversations with adults, and your kids are going to run up to you, and they're going to grab your shirt, and they're going to say, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. And this, for a lot of us, this is like our fits of rage. Oh, one thing that drives me crazy is being in a grocery store. And to hear, like, a, a mom or a dad be like, I told you. It's like, come on, man. It's 9 o'clock at night. You, they should be asleep. <laughs> you shouldn't be out here anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that just judged a lot of parents. But, hey, you know, I'm just here to tell you the truth. And so um, they're going to come up. They're going to grab you. They're hungry. They're tired. They're ready to go. And they're like, Mom, 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 come on, Dad, 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 let's go, let's go. And you're going to be like, yes, please, stop, stop. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I learned this from someone who's way smarter than I am, which doesn't take much. Um, when your kids, teach, teach your kids this and practice at home. So we're in a conversation, me and my wife, and you'll see our kids do this. They will run up and put their hand on my arm to communicate, Dad, I got something to tell you. And, and what we do is we put our hand on their hand. And it says, hey, I know you're here, and I know you have something to tell me. And if we pick our hand up, that just means not now. If we hold their hand still, it just means just wait a second. And our kids, they are so proud when they come up and put their hand on my arm because they feel like they're a part of this adult conversation, but sometimes that's just not the time. And so we'll say, like, we'll pick up their hand and move it off. Um, it's life-changing. Uh, I'll give credit where it's due, but I don't remember who taught me that. But my, my kids taught me that. Man, it's great. Invest in the conversation. Be there. No phones, no other people, no scores, uh, unless Clemson's on. Here's the second thing. Uh, we're quick to listen. We're slow to speak. Slow to speak. This is not the part I'm good at. I'm a decent listener. I want to be a better listener. I want to ask better questions, but I am not slow to speak. I always feel like I have the answer to everything or a rebuttal for everything or a defense for everything. I am not good at this. Remember when your parents would lecture you for hours and hours and hours, and you tried to butt in, and they just wouldn't let you? And then when they were finished, they said, okay, now you may speak. Well, James has given us the opportunity. Can I offer you some wisdom that, I, that I've experienced in my life? And I, I got it from the poet Brian McKnight. He says to start back at one. You get to this part where you're ready to speak, wisdom will tell you, Go back and ask more questions. Go back and listen again. Make sure that you have a clear understanding. Most of the time, when we're really listening, actively listening, usually at the end of this first step, our anger has subsided. We, 
And the majority of the time, our words that we had reserved for anger are now words of encouragement, of healing, reconciliation. We're replacing the words we had that were accusation and anger and righteous indignation that started with, but I. Being slow to speak is also, it's not necessarily time. Now, there are times, if you're like me, you, wanna, you do want to have a conflict right, like right now. That's just, that's just how I operate, because if we give it 15 minutes, I'm over it. But, so you, you might, there are some of us, though, that need a minute, like need to walk away, need to breathe, whatever it is. You might need time. But what James is saying here, it's not time. This being slow to speak, it's thought. We need to sit back and have careful thought about what we're going to say. Again, this is countercultural. We, in our culture, are more apt to fly off the handle uh, to share a, a meme or some passive-aggressive Facebook status. Instead, what the Bible calls us to do is to put in the work of listening and then let our thoughts and our attitudes be changed and then take time for careful thought about what we might say. A couple days ago, Erin took the kids out, and, and she had something to do that evening, and I hadn't seen the kids all day, and she, so she dropped them off. They ran in, and then Erin went to hang out with some of her friends. They came in. They were so excited to teach me what their mom had taught them. And I was like, oh, I'm excited to hear this. And they told me this. Say what you mean. Mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Y'all, my kids have the best mom in the world. Say what you mean. Mean what you say, but don't say it mean. I blew my mind. I'm 31 years old, and I'm like, wow, that just changed my life. We take time to think about what we, what we say. Like, we need to mean what we say. And we need to say what we mean. No passive-aggressive, uh, you know, like, here's what this also means. The excuse of, oh, I was just angry. That doesn't work. Just because you're angry does not give you a free pass to say mean and hurtful things. Just because you're angry does not give you a free pass to say whatever you want so that you can win an argument. No. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Care. Being slow to speak takes thought and careful thought. Um, in a counseling office that I go to pretty regularly, I go twice a month, they have a, uh, they have a poster that hangs, and this is what it says. It says, before you speak, think, and ask yourself this, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to grow angry, to become angry. If you get to this part of the process and you ask the question, am I still angry? There's a couple questions to ask then. Why am I still angry? And who is my anger glorifying? If you get to those two questions and you say, why am I still angry? Or am I still angry? Yes. Why? Well, because they. Or because I. You might need to spend some time praying about it. You might, that might be the time where you say, man, I need help. 
who is my anger glorifying? And if it's glorifying yourself and you just can't get away from it, we need to go back to step one, step two. We need to spend time committed to prayer. And again, we may need more help. But it might just be that your anger is glorifying God. We want to wrap this up by going all the way back to the beginning of verse 19. He says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be slow to speak. Should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human, human anger does not bring out the righteousness of God. Imagine with me for a moment what would happen in your parenting if anger was a last resort. Your kids would say, I know when my parents got mad that it was about something that mattered to them. I knew when dad got mad that it mattered to God. Imagine if you were slow to anger in your marriage. Your spouse would say things like, honey, I, I just had no idea it mattered so much to you. Th they would say things like, I knew it mattered to her. She hardly ever got angry. Can your spouse and your kids say those things about you now? Imagine your work environment where every, everything is hostile, but you are always peaceful. Where everyone started to, to, uh, to replicate what you do when you become angry, which is to listen first and speak last. Imagine a life where anger was not your everyday mode, but only the things that God was angry about. Remember this, anger always glorifies someone. It's either you or it's God. This is a tough topic to talk about. Here's why. I know that a lot of us in here have anger issues. I say anger issues. We don't even really know what that means. Uh, we say a lot. A lo there's, there's some of us that's like, man, the Marine Corps just taught me to be angry. My dad, he just taught me to be angry. Man, if you knew the life I lived, you would be as angry as I am. And I, I just want to tell you this. This is something that I am currently working through now is it anger. Anger at my past, anger at some family members, anger that it happened at all. Anger is a tough topic to talk about, but it matters. And anger should be reserved for things that matter, the things that matter to God. A couple months ago, it was probably three, four, five months ago, something like that. That's a long time, three, four, five months, maybe six. Uh, we were sitting at a staff meeting, and we meet at Starbucks on, um, we meet at Starbucks every Monday, and uh, our, our staff meetings never go quick. They're always long. But this one was going good, right? Like, it was going quickly, or so I thought it was going good. And I, um, I've been working through some things, and still currently am. Uh, one of them just being angry. Now, I am empathetic as it gets. Uh, I cried everything. The Lion King, 
My kid's walking through the room for no reason. The wind could blow that way, and I'm like, oh, that's beautiful, and I just started to cry. I, um, you can make fun of it. I don't care. I, I, that's who I am. And, um, and I, I genuinely care for people, sometimes to a fault. You know, like, I'll, I'll trust you until you give me a reason not to, and then I'll trust you more. <laughs> until you give me a reason not to, until my friends don't let me trust you anymore. I mean, that's, like, it's just over and over. And if you're like me, there are people in here who are like me, and if you're like me, we just get hurt, right? It's just what we do. And those wounds open, and then they close, and they open again, close. Well, eventually you build up scar tissue, and you just don't feel it anymore. I think I was in a mode of just not caring. Staff meeting was going quickly, and someone made the mistake of saying, man, this staff meeting is going by quick. Uh, at the end of every one of our staff meetings, our staff says, hey, who in our church can we commit to praying for this week? And we talk about you regularly. Uh, we pray for you all the time. We pray for you during the week. But honestly, I just wanted to go home. I was ready to make the list and just go, like, leave. We're ready to be home. And so we start listening, we start listing people on the, on the prayer list, and I'm writing them down out of action, not, I really don't, I mean, I'm going to pray for them, but, like, I was having a hard time really even caring. And so we get to the end of prayer, and I'm ready to be like, all right, can we pray? And I'm even probably going to ask someone else to pray, because, again, I just don't want to, like, I just am ready to go, and it's late, and so then Dory, our worship leader, she says, Hey, I think we need to pray for Roger. And I felt my body temperature rise. Not out of anger, but like, I just got caught doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. You know, like, I haven't felt that since like middle school when I didn't turn in my homework. And um, it was like that feeling you get when you lost something important, you don't know where it is, that moment of like panic. See, I thought I was fooling everybody, like just pretending that everything was all right and you just can't fool those who are close to you. And so Dory says, hey, uh, I think we need to pray for Roger. And I was like, why? <laughs> I'm fine. Just need some more coffee, that's all. She's like, man, you, uh, you're just not right. You're just not yourself. What's going on? And so, y'all, I just, it just all came out. And so it was not a short staff meeting anymore. It was a very long staff meeting. And so after I just let it all out and cried a lot, um, I look up and I see like Kendra and Dory, they're like compassionate. And I look at Sasha, who's our youth leader, who's knocking out of the park. And her nostrils are flared and she is angry. Now, if you know Sasha, she doesn't get angry like that. And now I'm confused. I'm like, why are you, why are you mad? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at yourself? Like, and it's just me being self-conscious. Like, you can't follow me now as a leader. Like, did you make a mistake being on our staff at seventh position? So I just said, Sasha, are you okay? And she goes, I am so angry. And it's like, she said, I'm mad, I'm mad at Satan. 
I'm angry that Satan would attack my friends and my family. And I'm angry that you have to go through this as the leader. I'm angry that I'm watching like Satan get to you. And probably for one of the very first times in my life, I saw an anger that, that replicated the righteousness of God. She was angry at what mattered to God. And that was that one of his children was not okay. Y'all, what would change in our lives if we just got angry about the things that matter to God instead of stupid stuff like towels on the floor, dishes not done? A miscommunication in our home. Y'all, that, that stuff does not matter. What matters is that there's more than 60,000 people in Jacksonville who will go to hell today if Jesus comes back and they have not accepted Christ. What matters is that in Jacksonville, our foster care system is over full because we don't have people who are willing to foster. You know, what, what God cares about is that our streets are filled with homeless and people just ignore them as if they don't exist. And let's get angry about the things that matter. We have servicemen and women who are killing themselves every day. And we're just so numb to it like it doesn't matter. Can we get angry about the things that matter to God and watch our community change and our workplaces change? And even more importantly, we're going to watch our families change and our parenting change and our kids change. And what's going to be amazing is we're going to watch us change from people who are angry to people of peace. And people who glorify God. Church, will you, will you pray with me? God, we sit in front of you today as desiring to be people of peace. God, we, we sit in front of you today as people who want to repent of bursts of anger and fits of rage. God, we want to glorify you. And we want to use our anger to do it. So, God, would you help us? Holy Spirit, help us be peaceful. God, help us to be listeners like you are. God, help us to speak words of wisdom and of peace. God, help us to, to show anger when it matters. Reserve for moments that glorify you. Father God, we as your children, are asking for help. God, I'm thankful for this church, a, a place of imperfection, but we get to come to worship a perfect God like you. And so, God, thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and that your mercies are new every day. God, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.